All right. Well, I hope you will take your Bibles. I hope you have your Bible. If not, feel free to step away and and grab your Bible and come back. We are going to be this morning in Matthew chapter 6. This is the first time I've had to open God's Word for us this year. And my original plan for this morning is that we would go back to Mark chapter 15, and we're going to do that next week. But this morning, we're in Matthew 6, and the reason is because I thought it would be good for us to spend some time as the new year begins, thinking together as a church about prayer and about how we pray. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm a a big New Year's resolution guy, but the beginning of the year, it is a great chance for us to think about what's important, to think about our priorities. And surely, one of our greatest priorities as Christians should be our fellowship with God. And at the heart of our fellowship with God is prayer. Prayer, it's, it's central, it's essential to the Christian life. It's central and essential to the health of us as a church. And yet, as important as it is, it's not uncommon for me to hear, uh, to pe- hear people confess, I don't pray as often as I should. Or, or maybe you would say, my, my prayer life isn't as robust as I think that it should be. I've also had people who have been followers of Christ for a long time say, I don't know that I really know how to pray. And so I thought it would be good for us at the beginning of this new year to start off by giving some time to to thinking about prayer. And of course, there's no better place for us to go than to the Gospels where Jesus himself gives us a, a master class on prayer. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, we're told of a time when when Jesus is praying. And when he finishes praying, one of his disciples asks him, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Now, think about this. These are men, grown men, (laughs) who had been raised in a religious culture. For the Jews, prayer was something that they did daily. Usually several times a day, there were prescribed times for prayer. So these aren't men who had never prayed or who hadn't heard lots of prayer. But the disciples recognized something in Jesus, that he knew something about prayer that they needed to know. So this disciple makes this request of Jesus, and I'm glad he did. He says, Lord Teach us to pray. And it's in response to that request that Jesus gives us what what we call the Lord's Prayer. You probably know it. You could probably quote it with me. You probably have memorized the version that's in Matthew chapter 6. If you know it, maybe you would say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, like I said, this is a prayer that probably all of us are familiar with. Many of you can probably say by memory. Maybe not in all in the same translation. We probably all have a few different versions rolling around in our heads and hearts. But it's a prayer we know, and depending on what church tradition you come from, it may be a prayer that you heard prayed or that you prayed corporately every week for years. It's familiar, it's well-known, and yet I wonder if you've ever slowed down and really taken time to consider uh, the prayer. For me, it was about this time last year when it occurred to me that it had been a long time since I'd given any real serious thought to the Lord's Prayer. I've known it most of my life. I could say it off the top of my head. I could probably even give you a pretty good explanation of it line by line, but it wasn't something I was using very often in my own prayer life. And yet, there's no doubt that this is a significant prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, this is the prayer he gave. And I don't think he gave it to us to recite word for word necessarily. He's not giving us a script for prayer, but he is giving us an example of how we should pray. It's a, it's a model prayer. It's a, a pattern prayer. It's a prayer that teaches us the way we should pray. And like I said, as recent as a year ago, it's a prayer that I wasn't using a lot personally. But I decided around New Year's last year to start thinking about it more, to try to learn more from this lesson of Jesus on prayer. And on the surface, it seems simple. It's a simple prayer. But after thinking about it more carefully, using it as a guide for my prayers, reading several books on this prayer, and I'll tell you, I still feel like I'm just barely scratching the surface of what God has to teach me about prayer through his prayer. It's short. We can read it or recite it in about 20 seconds. But its length isn't really a good measure of its depth. It's a prayer that tells us a lot about God. It tells us what God desires, what God wants us to desire. And so as we start the new year, I wanted to give some time for us as a church to explore this prayer together. And, and here's the hope that God would use this to make us a people and a church that pray better, who pray more consistently with the heart and the will of God. So, so here's the plan. This morning, we're going to look at Matthew 6 because it's important for us to, to understand the context in which this prayer is given to us. So we're going to look at the structure. I want us to try to get a, a thousand-foot view this morning of the prayer. And then, starting on Wednesday, we're going to spend about six Wednesdays walking line by line through the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to give quite a bit of time to really unpacking exactly what God would have us to learn from the prayer. So this morning, it's kind of a preview, kind of a teaser and I'm hoping that it will encourage you to, to jump in with us on Wednesdays as we go deeper. 
I'm looking forward to that. But this morning, I do want to get to kind of get us an overview of the prayer. Hopefully, you have your Bibles open to Matthew 6. As we come to, to Matthew 6, we are right in the middle of what we refer to as a Sermon on the Mount. Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 all make up this sermon that Jesus gave. And so let me go ahead and give you your homework. Your homework this week is to go and read this whole sermon. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And if you read the entire sermon, hopefully what you'll recognize is that this is an extended teaching of Jesus on what it looks like to live as part of the kingdom of God. It's this grand picture of life in God's kingdom. And as part of this, he tells us what it means for us as people who are part of God's kingdom to pray. So he gives us some warnings of what to avoid when we pray. He gives us instructions on how we should pray. And included in this is the Lord's Prayer. So with that context in mind, knowing that we're jumping right into the middle of this sermon, let's read Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 5 and read to verse 15. Hear the word of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Then He says this, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. His word never fails. And this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples 2,000 years ago, it is still good and relevant for us today. Now, like I said, when we come to Matthew 6, this is like walking into church halfway through. The sermon's been going for a bit, okay? This, this sermon started back in Matthew chapter 5. We're jumping in in chapter 6. And I won't try to recap everything that Jesus has said up to this point, but let, let's get a running start. As we come to Matthew 6, Jesus is warning us about the danger of practicing religion with the goal of being seen by others. This is a common temptation. It can happen subtly. Jesus wants us to be aware of that 
that at times we may be tempted to do things that are religious, not for the sake of pleasing God, but for the sake of being seen by other people. And we see that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This is the introduction to this section. Be careful that you don't do things for the sake of being seen by others. Check your heart. And then he gives us three examples, three ways that we may be inclined to show our religion for the sake of being seen. He starts off by talking about the way that we give, in particular, giving to the needy. He says that we may be generous just for the sake of being praised by others, but our giving should be from a pure heart for the sake of pleasing God. Then there's a similar warning starting in verse 16 about fasting. He says, when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fast, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So there's this warning, first about giving to others and giving in a way so that we may be seen by others. Then there's this warning about fasting, that we may be inclined to fast just so others can see us fasting and know how spiritual we are. And then in between those two warnings is a warning about the way we use prayer. And again, Jesus wants, to, wants us to check our hearts because there is this common temptation to pray not for the sake of communion with God, but to pray so that other people can see how devout we are. That they would see that we're good followers of Jesus. What we see is that this was a common problem in Christ's day. If you read the Gospels, you know Jesus constantly calling out those who were parading their good deeds for the sake of being seen. And prayer was one way this happened. We see there in verse 5, he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So maybe you have this picture in your mind of a guy in a, in a long robe who's, who's standing up and he's praying loud, long prayers, hoping to be seen by others. Not for the sake of communion with God, but for the sake of man's praise. Do you notice what Jesus calls them? He calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. And his warning is this, don't be like them. Now, as we read this section, I do think there's a, an important question that we have to ask and answer. Here's the question. Is Jesus forbidding public prayers? It's a good question, and it becomes even more pressing as we keep reading. Look again at verse 6. He says, when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who's in secret will reward you. So what's he saying? He's saying God can't be seen. So in that sense, there's this idea of secrecy. He's saying God can't be seen. You go to a place where you can't be seen and talk to the God who can't be seen. 
So verse 5 says, don't be like those who pray in public for the praise of men. Verse 6 says, when you pray, do it in your closet where only God can see you, which should push us to ask the question, and this is a really important question for me because I stand up and pray in front of you every week. This is an important question. Is Jesus forbidding public prayer? Well, as we zoom out, one thing to remember is that we have many examples in the New Testament of public prayers that are put out as honoring to God. In addition, we know that Jesus himself prayed when others were around. So I don't think this is necessarily a rebuke against all public prayers. He's not forbidding praying out loud or praying with others. But at the same time, there's a warning that we shouldn't miss. The warning is about the position of our hearts. It's a a warning about the posture of our hearts when we pray. What Jesus is warning us is about using prayer not to be seen by God, but to be seen by others. And it's a real temptation to pray not for the sake of communion with God, but for the sake of praise. Jesus says in verse 5, don't be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. And then he gives this other approach. Pray in secret. Pray with a heart that desires to be seen by God alone. We should be a people who pray with our eyes towards God, not with side glances, wondering what someone else may say or think. We should want God to hear us. And maybe you noticed what he said there at the end of verse 5. For those who pray, not for the sake of speaking to God, but for the sake of being on display in front of others, he says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If we want our prayers to be effective, our hearts must be pure. If we want God to hear our prayers, then we must ensure that we're praying to him and not to the people around us. Jesus wants us to consider the position of our hearts. What are we praying for? Why are we praying? What's our goal? In verse 7, Jesus turns from where we pray to the way we pray. Look at verse 7. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So here we're introduced to another common error, that there were those who prayed these these long and repetitive prayers, and the reason they prayed these things was with the hopes that they would catch the ear of God. And this was a a common uh, way of thinking during the time of Jesus, that we need to pray longer, we need to pray these long, repetitive incantations, because this is how God will hear us, and he will be more inclined to answer us if he hears us a lot. This was a common teaching, that these long, repetitious prayers would be more effective. But Jesus is offering this corrective. It's not about the length of the prayer. It's not about how many times you say a certain thing. It's not a formula to be unlocked. Again, what Jesus is pushing us to recognize is this is about the posture of our hearts. Here's the reality. God knows our hearts. He knows what we need. 
but he invites us to bring our request to him. And he's pleased when we come to him with pure hearts. And let me just say this before, before you, you message and start rebuking me. Sometimes our prayers may be long. Sometimes our prayers may be short. This isn't a rebuke against praying in public, and it's not a rebuke against long prayers, but the question is, what's going on in our hearts? Do we think that if we pray longer, then God's more inclined to hear us? He wants us to know it's not about long, repetitive pleas. It's about coming to him with a sincere heart full of faith. What we have in verses 5 to 8 are these warnings about how not to pray and prayer is such a gift. And, and we should desire not to misuse it. And I hope this morning would just be a reminder to you to take stock of how you use prayer. Do you pray for the sake of communion with God, believing that he hears you? Or do you pray because of how others perceive it, how they perceive you? Do you pray in certain ways because you think you can persuade God through the way you pray? Or do you recognize this is an opportunity to come before God who knows us and loves us and has invited us to bring our requests to Him? These are things that we should consider. What Jesus says in verses 5 to 8 is, don't pray like this. And then there's a transition. Starting in verse 9, He says, Pray like this. And it's at this point that he shares what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And as we read that first part of verse 9, pray then like this, we have another question that we must ask and answers. The question is, does Jesus want us to take this prayer and just repeat it word for word? Are these the only words that he wants us to use when we pray? What does Jesus mean when he says, pray like this? Well, I'll tell you on the front end, what Jesus is giving us here is a pattern, not a prescription. He's not telling us what words to pray, but I do think he's telling us the kinds of things that we should be praying for. And there's a few reasons why I say that this is a guide and not a script. First, let's just think about how Jesus prayed. Maybe you want to add this to your homework. You go and read John 17. It's a whole chapter, a long prayer of Jesus. What we see in his example is that he doesn't only pray these words. And yet, and this may be a fun exercise, you could put the Lord's Prayer next to John 17, and what you'll see is that Jesus is, Longer prayer is very consistent with the kinds of things that we see included in the prayer of Matthew 6. When Jesus gives his disciples, when he gives us this prayer, he's not giving us a script of words to pray, but a guide for how we should pray. And let me give you another reason why I think that this is the case. I mentioned earlier that the Lord's Prayer is recorded in scriptures twice. In the Gospel of Matthew, where we are this morning, it's included within the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is teaching God's people how to live in God's kingdom. And as part of that, he gives us this instruction on prayer. And then there's this other instance 
a completely different context in which Jesus' disciples ask him, will you teach us how to pray? And there he also gives them this prayer. And yet, if you look at them, if you put them side by side, you'll recognize that the version in Luke's gospel, it's it's a little bit different than the version in Matthew's gospel. They're very similar, but there are some differences, which I think helps us consider that it's not the words themselves that are most important. What's important and what Jesus wants us to learn are the kinds of things that we should be praying for. Now, let me say this also. What I'm not saying is that you should never pray this word for word. In fact, I think there's a lot of value in it. And I'm going to encourage us over the next couple of months as we work through this to spend time praying this prayer word for word. But that's not exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. What he wants is for our hearts to be formed about the kinds of things that God wants us to pray. See, what we see in the Lord's prayer is the heart of God. We see the things that he values. We see the things that he desires. We see what he wants for us, what he wants for the world. It it orients our hearts to his will. I think we should be honest and recognize within ourselves that we don't always pray well. On our own, we may be more inclined to pray according to our will than to God's will. But the Lord's Prayer helps us to focus on who God is and what He desires. It gives us a framework for bringing our requests to Him. So Jesus wasn't just giving us a script of words to pray. He's given us a prayer that will shape our hearts so that we can pray according to his heart. I've already told you, I'm looking forward to spending about six evenings walking through each line of the prayer. So we're not going to do that this morning. But what I want to do in just the last few minutes we have together this morning is to give us this big picture, the, the structure of this prayer. And there's a lot to be learned about the heart of God and his desire for us by just looking at the structure itself. We see the the preface, the, the prayer starts with addressing God. He says, our Father in heaven. And we'll spend time on Wednesday just talking about those four words. There's quite a bit there. We see first that it's a prayer that we pray collectively. He speaks of our Father And the fact that we're told to address him as father, this is huge. This speaks to the relationship that we have with him. That we can call him father, that he calls us sons and daughters. We're approaching a God who has called us his own. And yet, it says, our father in heaven. In heaven, which is a reminder of his sovereignty of his rule of over all things. And so we see this huge, um, not contrast, but we see that God is both our Father and the sovereign creator, sustainer of all things. The prayer starts by describing who God is and how we relate to him. And then there's, there's six requests, six things that we are told to pray for. And these six requests can be divided into two different parts, two sets of three. The first three are requests that fix our eyes on God and on what he desires. And then there are three requests in which we ask God for his help. 
just if you have your Bibles open, just look at the first three there. First, the request for God's name to be hallowed or honored. Second, the request for his kingdom to come. And third, the request for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So without going deep into any one of those, just think about how this should orient our hearts. We're beginning this prayer not with what we want, not for our name to be praised, not first with what we need, not first with really with us in view at all. The prayer is, begins fully focused on God, reminding us that before we turn to ourselves, before we turn to our needs, we should orient our heart to God and to his desires. We should want for him to be honored, for his kingdom to be advanced, for his will to be done. The prayer starts with these very God-centered petitions. And then there's a shift. And I had a hard time labeling this section because it is more man-centered or us-centered. But I think as we pray this prayer, if we begin and rightly pray through those first three very God-oriented petitions, as we come to the second half, we should recognize that even the part that's for our needs, it's all being done under this larger request for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done, His name to be honored. So yes, there is half of this prayer that's about what we receive, but it's all in accordance with what brings glory to your name, what advances your kingdom, what is in line with your will. So with all of that on the table, would you provide for our needs? Would you pardon us from our sins? Would you protect us from temptation and from evil? But what we have here is Jesus leading us in a prayer, in a prayer in which we confess our need and we ask him for his help. But we do that not for the sake of our own glory, but in view of his name and his kingdom and his will. So again, what I want us to see as we spend time in this prayer It's six requests, but they all go together. They're all playing a part in orienting our hearts toward God's desires. His desires for himself and for the world, for us individually and collectively. As I've been spending time with the Lord's Prayer, I found it helpful to to read through it and to think through it as a list of questions. First, who am I addressing? Our Father in heaven. Whose glory am I seeking? Hallowed be your name. Whose kingdom do I long for? Your kingdom come. Whose will do I desire? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who do I trust for my provision? Give us this day our daily bread. Who do I look to for pardon and forgiveness? Forgive us our trespasses. Who do I look to for protection? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you see how God-focused this is? God, we want your glory, your kingdom, your will. Would you provide? Would you pardon? Would you protect? It puts him first and reminds us that he's the one we trust. 
And I hope that you're, maybe a while ago you thought, is there six weeks here yet to be determined? But hopefully you're seeing that there is a lot here. It's a simple prayer, but it's not simplistic. It's concise in size, but it, it is broad in application. This week I read a story from the 1500s about Martin Luther, and maybe you've never thought about this. Have you ever thought about the fact that people in the 1500s had to get haircuts just like we do? Martin Luther had a barber. He was a man of routine. He went to Peter. Peter was his barber. Peter knew Martin well, knew of his commitment to prayer. And one day, Peter asks Martin, would you teach me how to pray? Well, Martin, being a good friend and a prolific writer, went home and and wrote him a, a pretty lengthy letter about how to pray. And you can find, if you go online and you just Google Martin Luther, a simple way to pray, Martin Luther's barber, you'll find there's a PDF. You can read it. A large part of that is Luther teaching Peter how he uses the Lord's Prayer as a guide for his prayers. And he says this. He says, To this day, I nurse on the Lord's Prayer like a little child. And like an old man now, I eat and drink from it, but never get my fill. This is Martin Luther's testimony to the richness and the depth of this prayer, that it's something that we don't just learn as kids, but it's something that we continue to learn throughout our lives. And what I hope that we will experience over the next six weeks or so together is that God has given us a great gift in giving us this prayer. We're almost done, but I wanted to end just by giving you what I perceive as some benefits to using the Lord's Prayer as a guide for our prayers. This is just my list and probably not even a complete list, maybe one we can add to together over the next couple of months. But I think there are six things. We'll go through them quickly, and then we'll be done. Why should we use the Lord's Prayer outside of all the things we've just learned in the Scriptures? First, the Lord's Prayer teaches us what God desires. Remember, God gave us this prayer. This is what He wants us to pray for. His name, His kingdom, His will, His provision, His pardon, His protection. So if we use the Lord's Prayer as a guide, then we know we're praying for the kinds of things that God wants us to pray for. Second, the Lord's Prayer It encourages breadth and balance in our prayers. I think if we're not careful, we can very easily become very narrow in our prayers. Maybe your prayers are all praise and not many requests. But the Lord's Prayer encourages both. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're asking God for a lot, but you never take time to praise Him. Again, the Lord's prayer encourages balance. Maybe you're asking God for a lot of things, but almost all the things you're asking for are all outward things. Now, the Lord's prayer does teach us to ask for outward things. Give us this day our daily bread. But there's also a a large emphasis on our hearts. Would you keep us from evil? Would you guard us from temptation? Would you forgive us of our sins? So hopefully what you see is this 
we use this as a guide. It, it provides breadth and balance to our prayers. And at the same time, it provides some guardrails. Not that we have to be limited necessarily by the Lord's Prayer, but if we use it as a guide, it does help us to be purposeful and focused in the things that are closest to the heart of God. So it can be beneficial to use the Lord's Prayer in that it hems in our prayers and keeps us very focused. Along the same lines, I've found that the Lord's Prayer can help me pray when I feel distracted. It's just really practical, isn't it? No doubt we've all experienced this at some point. When we're praying and then our mind starts to wander. But what I found is if I'm, I'm using the Lord's Prayer as a guide for my prayer, then it brings me back. I can pick back up and continue praying through the prayer. Gets me back on track. Here's a fifth thing. The Lord's Prayer can be a prime for dry seasons of prayer. Maybe you're there now. Maybe you're in a time where you have found it hard to pray. And I think if we're all honest, there are days, there are seasons where prayer is harder. The Lord's Prayer can be a help. And, and maybe, maybe prayer is not coming easy for you. Maybe you do just need to start just by settling your heart, settling your mind, and just praying the words that Jesus gave us. It's a great start. And then maybe after you pray the words, you could start going line by line and, and flushing that out. And what I found is that on days when prayer is hard, this can be something that really spurs my prayer. Along the same lines, the Lord's Prayer can give us words when words are hard to find. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're in a time of grief. Maybe you're confused and you're just having a hard time putting thoughts and words together. Whatever the reason, if words are hard to come by, the Lord's Prayer can provide words. And these words are pushing us to pray according to the heart of God. Which brings me to the last thing. The Lord's Prayer will keep us focused on God and what He can do more than ourselves and what we think we can do or can't do. We've already said that this morning that the Lord's Prayer tells us who God is, what He desires, what He does. One of the greatest temptations we face is to take our eyes off of God and to think too much of ourselves, which in some cases leads us to pride, thinking that we can make it on our own, that we are self-sufficient. Or in other cases, can lead us to despair because we feel like we're all alone. But in both cases, the Lord's Prayer helps to reorient our thinking. He's the one who gives life and breath and everything. We can't do it on our own. And we never have to feel like we are all alone. The Lord's Prayer helps us to see God tearing down our pride and lifting us out of despair, putting our eyes back on Him and His ability. Probably a lot more things I could add to that list. But I want to end this morning just by encouraging us to think about the gift that we've been given through prayer. Because of the work of Christ, we have access to God, the Creator, the Sustainer, the Sovereign One. We can come to Him, and He invites us to come to Him with praise and thanks, with repentance, with our requests. And because of Jesus, we know that he hears our prayers. 
And I want to encourage you to start this year maybe more faithful in your prayer this year than you were last year. It's worth noting that when we come to Matthew chapter 6, he doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. Jesus expects his people to be people of prayer. As the people of God, we should go to our Father regularly. And I want to end this morning just by inviting you to pray with me this prayer. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, I want to thank you for the access that you have given us to you through prayer. It is unbelievable to think that even now, we are in communion with the God of all things. We know this is only possible because of the work of Christ. So we thank you for the way that you have made for us. We thank you for the Lord's Prayer in particular. This window into your heart. This reminder that your name is above all names. Your kingdom above all kingdoms. Your will above all wills. And yet we're humbled to recognize that you desire to meet our needs. To provide for us. To pardon us. To protect us. God, maybe there are some of us who have been weak in our prayer life. God, would you use this morning and these coming weeks to spur us on. Pray that you would hear our prayers. That you would answer them. And you do great things as your people come to you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.